0: The missions team, too. And um, this morning, I want to turn our attention, if you would, with me to John chapter 13. We're going to read verses 1 through 17. The topic for uh, me this morning as we finish out our series on the mission of our church is really this question, do you love the church? Do you love the church? So we're going to read together John 13, 1 through 17. It's our custom to read God's Word aloud together. So would you join your voices with mine? Before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that His hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. Having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. Now when it was time for supper, the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray Him. Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into His hands, that He had come from God, and that He was going back to God. So he got up from supper, laid aside his outer clothing, took a towel, and tied it around himself. Next he poured into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to dry them with a towel tied around him. He came to Simon Peter, who asked him, "'Lord, are you going to wash my feet?' Jesus answered him, "'What I'm doing you don't realize now, But afterward, you will understand. You will never wash my feet, Peter replied. If I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. One who has bathed, Jesus told him, doesn't need to wash anything except his feet. But he is completely clean. You are clean, but not all of you. This is why He said, Not all of you are clean. When Jesus had washed their feet and put on His outer clothing, He reclined again and said to them, Do you know what I have done for you? You call Me Teacher and Lord, and what you are speaking rightly, since that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and Teacher, have washed your feet, You also ought to wash one another's feet, for I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. Truly I tell you, a servant is not greater than his master, and a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You ever heard of the TV show Dirty Jobs? Ran from 2003, sort of off and on, through the present. It stars Mike Rowe, who's the host of the show. And it's a pretty simple premise. It involves no cast, no sets. Mike Rowe just goes from place to place and interviews people and walks alongside of them doing some of the worst jobs in America and highlighting the hazards and the disgusting of these jobs. So he's featured jobs like this, feral cat fixer maggot farmer, biochar maker, pile jacketer, and deer urine farmer. Yes, you heard me right, deer urine farmer. And the the whole show is about what's disgusting. And apparently Americans love to watch things that are disgusting. We just do. Um, You know, if you go back in history, and you look at the most disgusting jobs in history, one of the front runners has to be this one particular job that Henry VII of England created in his court, He's the uh, founder of the Tudor dynasty. And Henry VII had a a position in his court called Groom of the Stool, which is what you think it is. This person's job was helping the king with all of his toileting business and supplying water and a basin and a towel. And it was a very, apparently, it was a very well sought after position because you got to have influence, you got intimate alone time with the king to talk to him about decisions he was making in in court. But I hear, what I've heard over time in history is that that job was pure crap. So I don't know. So thank you. So why the disgusting sermon opener today? I I, want to start this way because in order to really enter into this passage, we have to lower ourselves to be where we find Jesus in this passage. You know, it's, it's very common for churches, and if you've grown up in the church, to hear about foot washing, maybe even experience it, and it loses its sort of shock value to us. It doesn't feel the same as the groom of the stool, and yet that's precisely what Jesus is entering into in this, this passage. So today we're going to look at this under these headings, the one who loves, the ones he loves, and how we love. So I want you to picture this scene. Here's, here's how this looked. They would have been at a very low table, like 18 to 24 inches off the ground. Cushions spread around, tables in the shape of probably a big U. And the way that you would eat at this meal is that you would be laying down on your side, propped up on your left elbow, eating with your right, and your feet would be way out away from you. You wanted, in the first century, your feet and everybody else's feet to be way away from the table. And here's what Jesus does. Jesus gets up quietly, takes off his clothes. He's there in his underwear, takes a gigantic piece of linen, and ties it in a knot around his waist. And we, we know from archaeology what this looked like. These, these giant linen cloths would have had huge parts hanging off, but really long. That's the part you use to dry. Takes a basin, and for probably a half hour, he would go from person to person around the edge of that table, washing the feet and drying the feet. Now, of course, that's awkward. I mean, we, many of us don't like people to touch our feet. Many of us don't like to touch other people's feet. Um, for example, Esau McCauley, who is an Anglican priest and also a writer for the New York Times, describes growing up in a church tradition where this was part of the every week practice. And this is what he said. I can say with confidence, I have washed more feet than any Anglican priest I know. This is not because my previous parishes enthusiastically embraced Monday Thursday. Nope. I make this claim because I was raised in the primitive Baptist tradition. And that tradition, once per month, as part of our celebration of the Lord's Supper, we washed each other's feet. I'm not speaking about pastors washing somebody's feet. I'm talking about everybody. The whole church joined in this work. Well, at least the ones who stayed after the main service to share in the, quote, supper and foot washing, as we used to call it. Service was quite simple. They divided the church, men on the left, women on the right. Then out came bowl after bowl of water and enough towels to supply a rather successful pool party. Now, the rookies didn't pay attention to where they sat. They didn't heed rule number one of foot washing. You were required... To wash the feet of the person sitting next to you. Sitting next to one of the more, let's say, mature members of the church was somewhat of an adventure because Alabama summers can be quite warm, and those church socks were not designed to reduce sweat. But we young folks had an unspoken code. On foot washing Sunday, we stuck together making sure that our feet and our socks were pristine. We also did not require excessive diligence in the foot washing department. A quick splash and a rub were sufficient. Nonetheless, I sat there month after month, year after year, washing the feet of the young and old. Now, what he's highlighting is the awkward of this, right? The awkward. um, And we can enter in a little bit to that. But uh, what I want to highlight as well is the disgusting. I want to remind you this is the first century. In Jerusalem, there is not public sanitation that we know It's not there in the sense it hadn't been built up by the Romans yet in Jerusalem at this time. So the streets are filled with excrement of animals and also of humans. That's where all that was thrown out into the street. Most people were barefoot. They walked everywhere they went, and they brought that into their homes. And so when everyone reclined at table, this is why you wanted everyone's feet as far away from the table as is possible. Now I was trying, I was trying really hard to rack my brain of a modern example that even comes close to this. And the only thing I can come up with is my wife's experience growing up. She grew up in a house where her dad was a physician and regularly went to the hospital. And he had one pair of hospital shoes and warned his kids about those shoes. You do not touch the hospital shoes. You don't brush past the hospital shoes. The hospital shoes are contaminated. And yet, like Esau Macaulay's experience, as awkward as that is, Susan's experience, as contaminated as that is, does nothing to touch what's going on in this passage. It really doesn't touch this because I want you to remember who is washing the disciples' feet. It's their rabbi. Jesus was a rabbi who had 12 disciples. Now, we use the term disciple sometimes in the church, and we don't think about what that means. It's a very technical term in the first century. If you were a disciple of a rabbi, you, follow, you left everything behind and you followed the teacher around everywhere they went. This was a 24/7 365 thing. You didn't it's, it's like being in the military now. You're not sort of in the military, are you? No, you can't sort of be in the military. You couldn't sort of be a disciple. This is an all-of-life thing to follow this person. And this is a story about a rabbi washing the disciples' feet. This is crossing so many lines in their culture. This is unthinkable. He says, do you know who I am? You've called me teacher and Lord, and that is right. He's acknowledging this position and exactly what he's doing. How much he's violating this. And I mean, maybe some of you have been to a Monday Thursday service. Maybe in some youth group, you washed each other's feet. We have no idea what this is like. Because in the first century in Israel, Jews wouldn't even let Jewish slaves wash someone's feet. It was beneath a Jewish person in any, even in the lowest status. There's, they would let Gentiles, pagans wash someone's feet, but never a Jew, and never a rabbi. Never. I mean, there's one scholar says this: there's no, no source known of a superior washing the feet of an inferior in the Roman world. No record of it. And here's Rabbi Jesus, who you better believe caused quite a stir for, so that for a half hour, he's in his underwear, walking around, washing from foot to foot to foot. You better believe nobody was talking. Nobody's able to just kind of go on normally. This is anything but normal. But we can one-up the disciples here because we know something about Jesus. They didn't even really fully grasp at this point. Who is this washing the disciples' feet? This is God incarnate, right? This is the Holy One of Israel. This is the one of whom in Isaiah, the seraphim, these angelic beings are flying around the throne and they're saying, holy, holy, holy of this one. That's who's washing the disciples' feet. And John writes of this. In his hands are all things. All things are in his hands, right? Jesus knew the Father had given everything into his hands. He had come from God. He was going back from God. John's like, just in case you're not sure what I'm talking about. If you ever, if you ever, ever, ever want to know what God is like, this is it. And particularly if you want to know what God is like toward you, this is it. You know, the next chapter over, John 14 John makes a point of making sure he's got Jesus' words just right. If you have seen me, you've seen the Father. You know what God is like. This is what what God is like, and this is what God is like toward you. Dane Ortland, in his book Gentle and Lowly, he describes this. He says, God doesn't handle us roughly. He doesn't scowl. He doesn't scold. He doesn't lash out, maybe the way your parents lashed out at you. All this restraint on his part is not because he has some kind of deluded or forgetful orientation toward you and your sinfulness. Right? He knows us far more deeply than we even know ourselves. Indeed, we're aware of just the tip of the iceberg of our own depravity, our own brokenness, even in our most searching moments of self-knowledge. But his restraint simply flows from what? His tender heart toward his people. The Bible is not just telling us that instead of scolding us, somehow Jesus loves us. It tells us the kind of love, the kind of love that he has toward us. Rather than sort of dispensing grace from on high up in heaven, he gets down with us. He puts his arm around us. He deals gently with us in the way that's just what we need. This is the way of God toward us. This is the way God loves. And not some in, in some kind of general sense. I can say this with every ounce of certainty I have in my body this morning. This is how God is toward every person in this room. This is how God, the posture of God is toward you. And I know it's hard for us to believe this. Some of us believe God can barely stand to be around us. God's so disappointed. This is the heart of God. If that's how he loves, look at the ones he loves. Who does he love in this way? He loves his enemies. John makes a point to make sure that we know who's at the table. Right, he makes a point, verse 1, and he says this. What is he doing? He's displaying his love. Having loved his own who are in the world, he loved them to the end. And then verse 2, who's at the table? Judas. Judas is at the table. And we know Jesus is fully aware of Judas's impending betrayal, and yet what does he do? He washes Judas's feet. He models his love for an enemy. Now, I think it's easy, if you've grown up in the church, if you've heard the Bible all your life, to sort of cartoonify the Bible. You know what I'm talking about? You sort of make it into like this sort of larger-than-life or, or kind of silly figures, you know, we sort of picture Judas like he had this like, like really sinister looking mustache and maybe a black fedora, right? You know, he, he wore a black coat. You know, he looked shifty and had like pointy eyebrows. But let me tell you something. Nobody guessed this was about Judas. Nobody was like, oh, of course, you know, we knew that guy. No, this is one of their friends. This is one of the people who had gone from village to village ministering the gospel. This is one of the people who had cast out demons. This is one of the people gifted for ministry. Uh, so it's not like when Jesus says, hey, I know one of you is going to betray me at the Last Supper, that they're like, oh yeah, give us three guesses and we can discount two because we already know. No, nobody's looking around going like the guy with the pointy mustache. Now, I, I want to remind you of this. Like, We need to remember this. Who does Jesus wash his feet? His enemies. Second, he washes the feet of his betrayer. Here's, here's Peter who's like, Jesus, don't wash my feet. And yet we know that very night, what is Jesus, what is Peter going to do? He's going to betray he's ever known Jesus. Right? Again, this is who Jesus loves. This is who Jesus loves. We need to remember this. Jesus doesn't just love good people. Jesus doesn't love just people whose lives are kind of cleaned up who kind of like, they'd fit, that we're not, they're nice guests to have over for dinner. Jesus washes these kind of people, the feet of these kind of people, people like us. I mean, if you're here this morning and you feel like you barely, you're like, I don't even know if I can stick my head in a church. You, take heart. This is the kind of people Jesus washes their feet. And finally, this is the big category. He washes the feet of people who need cleansing. And that's Everybody right? He, everybody. And we could tell that Jesus got their attention, right? Uh, this act obviously makes the disciples really, really uncomfortable, so much so that when he gets to Peter, Peter protests. He's like, you're going to wash my feet? And Jesus like, I, unless you, I wash your feet, you're not going to have me pardon me. And, you know, Peter protests. He says this in, literally in Greek. You're not, not, not going to wash my feet. It says it three times in the Greek. No, 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 no. Jesus, this is beneath you, and this is offensive to me. And can you identify with that? I mean, it's hard for many of us to receive from another person. It's hard. A lot of y'all, you you have some, somebody invites you over for dinner, and you turn around, and you, you have to be like, oh, we'll have you back, because we can't receive anything. Wouldn't want the church to provide meals for you when you're sick, because, of course, we don't want to. Impinge upon anybody else. Infringe on, on anybody else. Trouble anybody Yo, this is a picture of us in where we struggle to receive. That's where Peter is in this. Jesus is giving his last and his greatest teaching in this moment. He says, you don't understand what I'm, what I'm doing now, but soon you will understand it. His washing their feet, I want you to think about this, is just a preview of what's about to happen. At that meal... Jesus takes off his outer garment as it would be removed forcibly from him a few hours later. Jesus humbles himself. It's humiliating to be standing there in his underwear as he would be humiliated just a few hours later. He takes water and pours it into a basin and washes them just as his blood will flow out of his veins to pay for the sins of the world. And instead of just washing off dirt and excrement off their feet, we know this is what He came to wash. He came to wash away our sins. This is just a preview of what He's about to do. So, you know, when the disciples, He says, do you understand what, they, what I'm doing for you? They're like, uh-uh, uh-uh. And it's the same question for us this morning. It's the same question I want you to wrestle with. Do you understand what Jesus has done for you? Do you understand the heart of God toward you? Is this how you view God? His joy at cleansing you? Serving you? Do you get it, or are you like Peter? Jesus, you are not, not, not going to do this to me. Look, church, i got to go from um, preaching to meddling a little bit this morning. Because every time we gather, I know I stand in front of a room that's filled with a world of hurt in it. I know that. I don't have to guess. And so here's my question for you this morning. Will you let Jesus touch you? Will you let Jesus touch you in the places of your shame? Will you let Jesus touch you in the places of your guilt? Will you let Jesus touch you in the places where you're hurting? I mean, he wants to restore He wants to cleanse. He wants to give dignity to where that's been taken away. He wants to come near. But you have to let Jesus touch you. You have to let him near. Will you let Jesus near you? I mean, this is my great hope for this congregation. Not what I'm going to bring, but this is who our Savior is. This is what he wants to do among us. Will you let him? The way we answer that question Do you know what Jesus has done for you? The way we answer that question is by how we love others. I mean, this is the punch of the last part of the passage, right? That last verse, right? If I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. You're blessed if you do these things. So how do we love? How do we love? The final push of the passage is, if you you know these things, you're blessed if you do them. Now, this is not one of those passages in the Bible where we're like, I'm not sure what Jesus is telling us here. Right? There's not a, there's not, if you look up on the commentaries, there's no debate about this passage. Nobody is like, gosh, I don't know what to do. We hear, this is a real head scratcher, Jesus. What are you teaching? Nobody debates this one. You know, I wish it read, you know, if you know these things, blessed are you if you know them. Don't you wish Jesus was saying that? Hey, uh, you're, you're like, yeah, I know we should probably do this. No, he says, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. You know, this is talking about relationships between Christians. Can I be really honest? I mean, it is church. I don't know if I can do that or not. It's really hard to love other Christians, isn't it? I mean, if I went to North Hills Mall this afternoon and I had a little clipboard, I was running around, did a little survey, and I said, you know, do you like Jesus? Do you think Jesus was good? And most people in Raleigh would say, yeah. Even if I don't believe he's God, I believe he's good. You know, it seems like a good teacher, had a good way of life. You know, a lot of people would be like, yeah. If I, if I said, okay, next question. Do you like this book? You know, maybe some less people would be like, yeah, I like that book. Some, some people are like, I don't know. But like a lot of people are like, yeah, this is full of some good ideas. If I said, hey, do you like theology? Now, that would shrink the pool a little bit. In our church, a lot of nerds, right? So y'all love theology, many of you. But it would shrink the pool. But if I said this you have other Christians? Do you love other Christians? Right, you're chuckling because you know this is what's hard, is to love other Christians. Why, why is loving so hard? Why is serving so hard? Well, I got three problems that are mine, and you can see if they fit you. Okay, so three problems. Number one, people are annoying. People are annoying. C.S. Lewis best captures this in his book, The Screwtape Letters. Screwtape Letters is a fictional story where one older demon is telling another younger demon how to mess with the church, how to really mess with Christians. And so he's giving advice to this younger demon about that, his patient, you know, going to church. And this is what he says. One of our greatest allies at present is the church itself. When your patient gets to the pew and looks around and sees the selection of neighbors around him that he tries to avoid during the week, make his mind flip to and throw between the phrase body of Christ and the actual people sitting around them, especially if those people sing out of tune, have squeaky shoes, right, have double chins, wear weird clothes. The patient will quite easily believe that their religion must be ridiculous, I have a friend who used to say, you know, you know how Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest? He said, I think Jesus, I think they wrote that one down wrong. I think it was, come to me, all you who are socially awkward. Because that's what the church is. Like, if you come in this place and you're like, I would never be friends with these people, you're probably in the right place. And that's the church. Uh, problem number two. See if you identify this one. I feel like. My love or interest in others is a scarce resource like plutonium. In other words, you know, if I meet someone and I'm kind to them and friendly, that's one thing. But if they go the extra steps of like actually wanting to be friends, that feels like they're asking me to open up a vein and bleed out for them. You might feel this way. Like I can be kind. I'll be friendly, but be your friend. Does you might feel it. Okay, just okay. I guess I'm just alone up here. I'm just by myself, right? Well, uh, So, problem one, people are, are, are awkward. Problem two, are annoying. I feel like my love and interest in others is a scarce resource. Problem three, you know, you're going to come in, many of you, you've had a doozy of a week. And you're like, I have to manage 50 people and you want me to come work with two-year-olds? Like, y'all, I'm, I'm, y'all, I'm done. Some of y'all feel that way? I'm fried. But here's the ironic answer to all of those objections. The ironic answer to all those objections is this one thing, loving, serving, loving the body. This is what we most need and we most do not want to do. You know, the thing that is going to change this world, this is what Jesus tells us, is not podcasts or conferences, good-linking pastors, right? (laughs) It's the way we love each other, the way we serve one another. Do you know there's um, one word that is used in lots of churches that is never appears in your New Testament? There's one word that never appears in all of the New Testament, but churches love to use this word, and it's not a Bible word. It's the word volunteer. Volunteer is not in your New Testament. The word serve, serving, servant, man, that's all over your New Testament volunteering that's for the YMCA okay what we do here and I want to retire the word volunteer in permanently can we agree to do that from our vocabulary because Jesus doesn't call his disciples to volunteer He might want to come he calls them to come and die come and serve come and serve one another so I can I remind you what we believe about serving this is really really simple But I just want to remind you of some things you already know. We serve one another because Jesus is worthy of all of our serving. He's our king. And he's worthy of all of our money and all of our Sunday mornings and our Thursday nights and all of our free time. He's worthy of all of it. And here's the thing. When we give our things to Jesus, we give him our time, we open up ourselves, we open up our talents, we open up our energy. Jesus has this way of taking our things that we offer him and making them better and more beautiful. Just like when the little boy gives him his fish and his bread and he multiplies it. We serve God second when we serve one another. Jesus clearly tells us that what we do for the least, we do unto him. Jesus says, when you offer a child a cup of cold water in my name, you will not lose your reward. Third, we serve because we've been so served by Jesus. If we can see this picture of Jesus with the basin and towel, how can we be people who are, like, too proud to serve? How can we be people who will not humble ourselves and serve? And finally, we serve because our hearts need to serve. You know, the very thing we think will kill us is the very thing we need. It's what we really need. The the human heart shrinks down to the size of self when it's not used. Well, Hearts have a way of being able to be expanded and shrink, just like the Grinch said. Remember with the Grinch? The Grinch finally realizes what Christmas, the Christmas is going on. He turns the sleigh around and goes back down, and his heart grew how many times that day? Three times that day. See, y'all know this story, right? Three times that day. Our hearts, y'all, Are in danger of shrinking down to the size of self. The church, our church, is on the verge of a shift in Sunday morning. 70 days from today, we're moving to a new facility. We're moving to Oberlin Middle School. And one of the great things, we have lots of reasons for doing this. We'd like to all be in one service. That's impossible in this building. We don't have any room for Sunday school for kids and adults. We can't pull it off here. We tried figure that out. We can't figure it out. But really, what's really important to us is the opportunity for us to serve together, to use our gifts and our abilities, to have an opportunity to come alongside one another and remember what it means to serve the body of Christ. This is going to open up all kinds of opportunities, opportunities to teach kids, opportunities to set up, like unload crates and set them up in a classroom, opportunities to like be one of the safety team, kind of walks around the hallways, make sure everything's right, opportunities to be a greeter, Goes out and hands out umbrellas on days it's raining, and welcome people into our building. Welcome people because we've been welcomed by Christ. There's so many great opportunities, and I don't want to, and we don't want to guilt anybody to serve. We don't want to manipulate or cajole. We don't want to beg. Don't think that that's right. This is not a have to. This is a get to moment in our church. So we're going to open up all kinds of ways to serve. And my question is: Will you follow your Savior? Will you pick up the basin and towel? I want to ask you this morning: What is God calling you to do? Now, what do you want to do? But what is God calling you to do? Can you hear His voice? Can you discern that, like the Savior, is giving you an opportunity to respond? And yeah, you know, I'm going to hand out. Couple of clipboards. I'm not asking for anybody to volunteer. If you'll take them and pass them back. I'm not asking anybody to volunteer. I'm asking if you will serve. Let me close with this. You know, Esau McCauley, who is the writer for the New York Times and also an Anglican priest, um, this is from his same article. He said this You know, to be honest, I never learned to enjoy the foot washing service. I am no longer sure that I was even supposed to enjoy the foot washing service because service and mutual love are hard work. Sometimes it involves the unpleasant labor of grabbing sweaty feet and saying, you are loved and valued by me, but, no, but more importantly, by God. He says, this is gospel work. It's not fun, but it's good he writes, "It was not until I joined the Episcopal Church in my twenties that I found out that most Christians only wash feet once per year, and that was often by a priest. Initially, I liked the Episcopal version much better. After all, who couldn't wash feet once per year? Plus, most members were too shy to come forward and have their feet washed. So there was a sense in which the clergy were willing to humble themselves, but the congregation thought that such humility was not required. It was the best of both worlds." Soon my experience as a Baptist betrayed me, though. I knew that allowing someone to serve you requires a humility and vulnerability that most of us would like to avoid. We avoid that vulnerability by making the same deal that I made with my friends when we were kids in the pews. If you put on your best socks on foot washing Sunday, I will do the same. If you pretend that you don't need my help, I'll pretend I don't need yours. We can fake it together. But this is a lie. Jesus knew it. And so do we. We need each other's love and service. We need help and not just like some kind of liturgically enacted help. We need tangible love. We need it to come first from Jesus who loved us to the end. We need it because Jesus came, before Jesus came, everything was not okay. We had failed, we had sinned, but he can make all things new. Then we need that same love to be made real in our mutual concern for one another. And here's, the, here's the kick part of this. We've been given a command from Jesus a mandate that we love one another with everything we have. Whether we remember that command ritually by washing one another's feet or annually is really not the point. What matters is that we genuinely love and serve each other as Christ has served us. This is hard work, but it's good. Therefore, give me your feet, and I'll give you mine, that together we might see the face of God. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this passage. We thank you for your word. There's nothing like your word. Lord, your word always reveals to us our great need and Christ's great provision. And Lord, we pray today to have eyes and ears and hands that respond to what you're telling us. You're calling on us. Father, we thank you, Lord, that the Lord Jesus came and humbled himself and provided that true cleansing that we need above all else. And we thank you, too, that he calls us into a family, into a spiritual family, the body of Christ. Help us, Father, to follow you, to imitate you, to love as you loved. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's respond to God's word together in song. Would you stand with me?